You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's our guest speaker. All right, well, good morning. Well, growing up, I always dreamed of being some sort of hero. And uh, I would, I remember when I was younger, I would be in the backyard and I would act like I was some sort of ninja or something fighting some invisible bad guys, or I would pretend to be entrenched in some sort of battle where I'd be shooting at some enemy soldiers, or uh, maybe I'd be in the, the front yard and I'd be counting down. Uh, I'd have a basketball in my hand from three, two, one, and then heave the ball at the last second to make the game-winning shot at the buzzer. Most boys grow up and they want to be a hero. And I'm willing to bet that for a lot of you out there today, maybe you've had your own fair share of hero stories where you've wanted to be the, the champion or the hero of your own story. Maybe it's, it's different. Maybe you weren't in some sort of battle or fighting ninjas or uh, maybe you weren't counting down three, two, one, and shooting a basketball. Your story may be a little different, but I'm willing to bet that um, the structure of whatever your hero story would be was probably a little bit similar. You see, in every hero story, uh, we usually have two things to look for. One is an objective, something you're trying to accomplish. And number two, you have an obstacle. That's something that you're trying to overcome. And so for me, the objective in a lot of my hero stories, it was either I wanted to be the greatest ninja, or I wanted to win the war, or I wanted to, to win the championship game. But the obstacle was always the bad guys in the way. Or maybe the obstacle was the enemy soldiers for, for the other army, or maybe it was uh, the shot clock running down and being down by two points. See, every hero story, uh, it has an objective and an obstacle. Now, since I've gotten older, I have to confess, I no longer... Uh, go in the backyard and pretend like I'm fighting invisible ninjas. I don't uh, typically uh, play soldier play, you know, in, in the backyard or count down and throw the ball at the, the, for the game-winning buzzer shot or, unless I'm playing with my kids. That's not something I normally do. But nevertheless, if I'm honest with you, today there are still plenty of areas in my life where I want to be the hero, where I want to win. I want to be successful. I want to overcome some obstacles. Uh, that desire in me it hasn't really changed much since being a kid. For example, in my life, I want to be the hero. I want to be successful in my career. And I want to be successful in, in loving and, and being a faithful husband to my wife. And I want to be a good dad for my kids. And I want to be a spiritual leader in my church. These are all things that I desire to accomplish. Where I want to have success. Where I want to be the hero. I, these are goals that I want to accomplish, and I'm assuming you probably have very similar dreams and goals in your own life. Objectives that you would like to win at or, or, or be the hero in, a number of areas. However, if you've lived life very long at all, you know we live in a fallen, broken, sin-cursed world, and so sometimes the path to finding success or victory in something Often that path is blocked by an obstacle. So the obstacle to success in your career, maybe it's your boss. Maybe the obstacle to success in your career is a coworker, or maybe it's your attitude. 
How about in your marriage? Maybe the obstacle in your marriage, maybe it's a lack of money. Or maybe it's a, a lack of trust between you and your spouse. Or maybe it's an addiction to pornography or something like that. The obstacle to success in parenting, uh, perhaps it's something like a lack of patience. Or maybe it's uh, something that like you're prone to getting frustrated or you have an anger issue. How about trying to be the hero in the church and be a spiritual leader in the church? Maybe the obstacle to you being in spiritual leadership in the church is your pride. Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol. Maybe it's a, a tarnished reputation. See, life is full of obstacles, isn't it? As we live in this fallen world, obstacles are everywhere and finding success can be difficult. So I want to pose a question this morning as we jump in. And uh, this is the question I want to pose. How do we face obstacles in life with confidence? When there's an obstacle in life, when there's a giant in our life that we're facing, how do we approach that with confidence? When it requires some sort of hero, some sort of person to bring victory, where can we find assurance and hope and confidence in life? Well, I, I believe the answer is going to be found in the Word of God this morning. And so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles uh, with me. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to see one of the most common hero stories ever, the story of David and Goliath this morning. And so 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where we're going to be. And while you're turning there, I want to just take a moment to just let you know how much of a privilege it is for me to be here this morning. I just really thoroughly appreciate your church uh, willing to just bring me back. Uh, that's an that's a awesome thing for Ben, bringing me back more than one year. That's great. So that makes me feel good. He didn't uh, cancel and this whole thing after the first year. And, uh, and I just enjoy being part of this church. And some of you I'm getting to know a little bit, and uh, I, I just enjoy that uh, thoroughly. I just want to say thank you for letting me be part of this. And also, I do this every year, but I just want to say again how, how blessed you guys are. Maybe you realize it, maybe you don't, to have Pastor Ben, but he is awesome. Uh, he and his family, yes. They're phenomenal, and I, I just, I, I so admire Ben and what he's done. In fact, I admire, I admire him so much that I feel like, I, I said this before, but there are many areas in my life where I seem to be following Ben, following in his footsteps. So for example, Ben, he decided to go to Southern, and then after Ben went to Southern, I decided to go to Southern. Now, Ben finished, and I didn't, unfortunately, but uh, I'm still working slowly to finish. But Ben went to Southern, and then I, then I went to Southern. And then Ben became a pastor in 2011, and I became a pastor in 2011. And uh, Kelly, you guys have six kids now, right? Okay, so we just had our fifth kid, uh, fifth baby, a, a week, uh, less than two weeks ago. And yes, which is awesome. So a little girl, her name is May, and so that's, uh, well, this is a girl. We have three boys and then another girl. And so I was talking to my wife recently, you know, about that. You know, we have five kids now and talking about Ben and Kelly, and she said, I want you to stop following Ben. That's what she told me. So just so you know, I'm no longer, we're, we're done, but you guys can win that one. So point for the Glupkers. Good job, guys. Um, but no, I just want to say how much I appreciate your pastor and look up to him and just encouraged by his ministry. And uh, I feel I, it's great because my church is going to be blessed this morning uh, for two reasons. Number one, because Ben is preaching. And number two, I'm not preaching. So that's great for them. So, uh, no, if you're already in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to go ahead and jump in. Before we do that, though, I just want to give you some context. One of the things I'm always uh, really uh, feel like there's a responsibility to do is when we open up our Bibles to say, okay, well, what's going on in the text so far? What's happening in the story? And I'm going to really briefly give you kind of a big picture of what's happening in the story so far. And there's a reason for that. So if you know the story of the Bible, you know it opens up right with the, the garden story. Adam and Eve in the garden. Things are great. They're in a great relationship with God. And all of a sudden, this scaly serpent 
slithers into the garden. He deceives Adam and Eve, and they sin. And from that point on, the world is fallen and broken and, and things are messed up. And, and God begins making progressive promises to his people from that point forward of a way that he can restore mankind and, and fellowship with him and rescue God's people. And so the very first promise we see is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God makes a promise that the seed of the woman, there's going to be someone born of a woman at one point in the future, a hero who's going to come and this person is going to crush the serpent's head. This scaly serpent will be crushed. And this is the first promise we see in Genesis 3.15 of a coming Savior. And after this promise is made, God begins making other promises. We know the promise he made to Noah. And then he makes a great promise to a man named Abraham. Uh, Abraham is a righteous man. And God makes a promise and tells Abraham that he's going to become a great nation that kingdom, uh, or kings will come from him eventually, that he's going to bless the world through Abraham. And so we see this promise comes true because Abraham becomes a great big family and eventually they're called the nation of Israel. And God takes these people, the nation of Israel, these special chosen people, and he establishes a theocracy over them. And what that means, that's just a big word to say that God is the one who is king. God is the one who is ruling this nation. They have no earthly king. God's law are the people of Israel's law. That's what they're supposed to follow. And if you know the story, eventually over time, uh, Israel doesn't do a very good job submitting to God as king. They don't do a very good job keep, keeping his law. In fact, we come into a period of time known as the Judges, where basically this whole time is summarized like this. It's a time when Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so eventually at the end of this time of the Judges, the people, they cry out to God. They're seeking for God to send them an earthly king. And so God responds by establishing the first earthly king, a man named Saul. Saul starts off pretty well in the beginning. Uh, he looks like he's going to become a good king at first, but over time he begins disobeying the voice of the Lord. And at that time, God rejects Saul as king. And God sets his sight on another man. A man after his own heart, it says in Scripture, a man named David. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 16, which would be the chapter right before, uh, this youngest son of Jesse, a shepherd named David, he is anointed to be the future king of Israel. And that's where our story is going to pick up. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, where we are, Saul is now king over Israel, but David has been anointed to be the future king, although nobody really realizes. It. In fact, David's life is largely the same. He's still tending the flock. He, he's a pretty normal guy. And so this is where it picks up. So at this point, in the beginning of chapter 17, what we see are two different armies. We have on one side the nation of Israel that's standing on one side of the valley of Elah, and on the other side you have their arch nemesis throughout the book of 1 Samuel, the Philistines, on the other side. And they're gearing up for battle, and that's where we're going to pick up. So let's go ahead now, and we're going to jump in. The first point this morning, if you get one of those little handouts and you're one of those type A people that want to fill in the blanks, the first point is the confrontation. And we're going to read about this this morning as we dive into our text. Confrontation. Notice what our text says, beginning with verse 4. And if you're following along in your Bible, it might sound a little different. I'm using um, the New Living Translation for some of the narrative portions of our text this morning. So it says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet. And his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. And it continues and it says, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you coming out to fight, he called. 
I am the Philistine champion, but you're only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down from here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning of the the message this morning, we all face our fair share of obstacles in life, right? When we try to accomplish something, we all face uh, challenges and obstacles. But for the nation of Israel, Goliath isn't just any obstacle. He is a giant of a man. He's probably the most scary thing you and I would ever have seen in our entire life at that point if we lived in Israel during that point in history. I mean, just put yourself in some of the people's shoes at at that point. Imagine that you're a soldier. You're part of the ranks of Israel. You're standing, you're looking across this valley, you see another army, and out comes this man who's walking toward you, the largest man you've ever seen in your entire life, and he begins taunting you and challenging you. In fact, he calls you out to go fight him one-on-one. And whoever wins this one-on-one battle, the, the, other, uh, the, the loser, their side, their army, they have to become slaves. And this is what this giant is doing. So he's, he's taunting you and calling you out. What would you do in that moment? Would you step out and be the hero for Israel? I'll be honest, I'll tell you what I would do. I would change my pants because they would be wet because there's no way I would face him. He's almost 10 foot tall, 9 foot, 9 inches to be exact. His armor weighs 125 pounds. He's a champion warrior from the Philistine army. And I didn't even stay in a Holiday Inn, Holiday Inn Express last night. So I have no chance at beating this guy. He is uh, the greatest uh, a- enemy, the greatest um, giant you could possibly face. And so I would do what everybody else did in Israel. I would cower in fear. I would hide. He's just too big. And before we move on, this is one of those stories I want you to know if you grew up hearing this story, it's often we kind of we say, yeah, we got that. In fact, it's interesting. If you think about, uh, I've made the drive here now. Um, well, this is maybe my fourth time coming here, third, third or fourth time. So I'm pretty familiar with my way here. And so once you get familiar, the drive seems quicker, I realize. The first time I came, it took a little longer. And I was noticing things and driving through here. But it seemed a little quicker. When you get familiar with something, sometimes you stop seeing things. And so let me just encourage you this morning, if you know this story really well, there are some things I want to pull from this passage that maybe we haven't seen before. And this is one of the things I just want to highlight real quick. If you notice in the passage, I, I want to focus on the way that Goliath is dressed. From head to toe, the, the text tells us that he's covered in a coat of bronze mail or bronze armor. Now, the word bronze in Hebrew is Nehoshet. And this Hebrew word is closely related to another Hebrew word, which is the Hebrew word for snake. It's Nehesh. And what's also interesting is he's covered in this bronze armor. Now, the word that's used here for male or armor, it's a word keskeset, okay? which I know sounds like I sneeze, but it, it's just a Hebrew word. And this word is almost always translated as scale. So it's found eight times in the Old Testament, and seven of the eight times it's used to describe the, the skin of a, a fish or a snake. But this one time, it's used to describe the armor that Goliath is wearing, this bronze armor. So you could translate this as the fact that he's wearing bronze scales. And so Goliath, he's covered in bronze scales, and this is going to be important later. And so just store that in your mind for a moment. So this is the confrontation we see. And now as Goliath challenges the nation of Israel to battle, what we're going to see as the story continues is we're going to see a contender step up. So the second point is the contender. Uh, This is the point in the story we're pretty familiar with. A hero is going to challenge Goliath, and that hero is named David. Now, as I mentioned, 
David is just a shepherd at this point. Yes, he was, uh, he was anointed to be king, but at this point, he's just tending sheep. David is not a soldier. In fact, if you read the whole passage, David isn't even there when Goliath arrives and begins taunting the ranks of Israel. David is back with the sheep. He's back home. And so because David is tending these sheep, uh, we read in this passage, he's got three older brothers, though. Uh, they're, they're a lot bigger and stronger than, than David looks. And so they are part of the ranks of Israel. And they're there, and they're hearing Goliath taunt the people of Israel for 40 days. And so in the midst of the armies waiting, David talks to his father, Jesse. And Jesse says to David, go over to your brothers and bring them s- some supplies, some snacks and things like that. See how they're doing. And so if we notice now in verse 20, this is where it picks up. So it says this now in verses 20 through 23. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out. Early the next morning with the gifts, as Jesse had directed him, he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. So again, David, he's now went out. He's seen for himself with his very own eyes for the first time this giant come out and begin to taunt the ranks of Israel. And notice how David responds to this. This is pretty awesome. David, he says this. He says, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Now, I remember uh, my first job I ever had. There was this guy I used to work with, and uh, he was kind of a younger guy, maybe my age, and he used to do a lot of talking. He would talk about how tough he was all the time, and he would share these stories. In fact, they were far-fetched stories, and the first couple times I had heard him talk and tell these stories, I was just blown away, like, man, this guy must be really tough. And then I realized after a while that he actually was just all talk. He would just tell stories. They weren't true. At one point, I called him out on a few things. I'm like, hey, didn't you say last time like this happened and that wasn't true? And so I realized he talked a lot. And maybe you know people who are similar, who they talk a lot about how tough they are, talk a lot about what they do, and, and sometimes people are all talk. It's the quiet guys you've got to be afraid of, right? They're usually the ones that you know, they're sneaky and they maybe have some sort of strength. Well, here in, in the passage, it's interesting because we've actually heard a lot about David. If you read chapter 16 and chapter 17 so far, David has been mentioned quite a bit. But at this point, David hasn't spoken a word. If you read through the passage, David, he hasn't mentioned a single thing except now in verse 25 for the first time, David pipes up and this is what he says. And so it's interesting for us as the reader of Scripture when we see David who's quiet and finally he pipes up, it's something that we should take notice of, that David means business. He is serious. He's heard this giant defy the armies of the living God and for David, he's indignant, he's upset. And why would David respond like this? Well, in his eyes... The fact that this giant of the Philistine army is taunting the nation of Israel, that's an insult against God himself. This is why he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Like David is mentioning specifically the fact that Goliath is uncircumcised because people who were uncircumcised were not people of the covenant. And so the fact that David is calling, uh, mentioning that is because David is saying, hey, this, this man who isn't even part of the, the children of promise, he's not, they're not even part of the covenant, he is now defying the armies 
of the living God. Who does this guy think he is? He's an outsider. And yet he's making fun of God's chosen people. Who does he think he's messing with? You know, I'm uh, technically a millennial. And I've noticed a lot of people who are millennials, they tend to, to talk a lot about how much Jesus is great, but the church is not so great. And so I had a lot of friends, who, Christian friends, who maybe as they got to college, they would say a lot, you know, I, I really like Jesus, but I really don't like the church. You know, and they would say these things about the church that were really demeaning. And, and, and at first, I kind of didn't really think much about it. But after a while, I thought about the significance of the church. Do you realize that Jesus died for the church? Right? So if you're a, a follower of Jesus this morning, Jesus Christ died for you, and he secured a covenant for you that you're now in relationship with him. We are the bride of Christ. And when we, pe- when we hear people talk about how bad the church is, it's essentially like we're making fun of Jesus' wife, his bride. And I think that, that God wouldn't really desire for that to happen. In fact, here with David, this is exactly what's happening. Goliath, he's taunting the very chosen, special, beloved people of the Lord. And so for David, this is as if Goliath is taunting God himself, speaking against God's people. It's just like taunting God himself, which leads to the next point, the confidence the confidence. Notice what happens as this story picks up. It says this, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. Now, when I first uh, remember hearing this story as a kid, I always thought, you know, everybody must have been so excited when David said, I'll go fight him. Everybody must have been like, oh, phew, we don't have to fight him ourselves. David's going to do it. But one of the things I forgot to remember is the fact that the whole arrangement here was that whoever fights Goliath, the loser, their army becomes, becomes slaves. And so when David goes up and he says, yeah, I'll fight this giant, you've got to understand, a lot of people standing around David are kind of like, uh, we don't want you to fight. You're a shepherd boy, no offense, buddy, but we're going to pick a better soldier on our side to go and step forward. Uh, we don't really have much confidence that you're going to do anything here, David. In fact, notice how Saul responds. This is why Saul responds the way he does when David mentions that he's going to go and fight. Saul says this, Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he has been a man of war since his youth. Now, what's interesting here is if you're familiar with the previous chapter, when David is anointed, there's an interchange that happens, uh, some communication that happens between God and Samuel, the one who anointed David. And in that story, if you're familiar with it, Samuel goes on a journey to try to anoint the next future king of Israel. And as he goes, he sees David's older brothers who are big and strong. And he says, surely the Lord's anointed must be before me. And so he goes forward and he's preparing to anoint one of David's brothers. And the Lord says, no, I haven't chosen that one. And then so another brother is there and he's big and strong. And so Samuel goes, okay, well, I'm going to anoint this one. Then he's prepared to anoint the next one. And the Lord says, no, I haven't chosen that one either. And we see going through this list, all these different brothers of David who you would expect to be the one anointed to be king. And there's something interesting that happens here because the Lord then speaks to Samuel and he says this, don't judge by his appearance or his height. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's easy for us to, to make judgments about a number of things, but God is the one who sees everything. He sees all. He sees right through that. And with David, God has chosen David to be the one that's going to be the future king. And here in the story as well, as David steps forward, everybody looks at David and they're like, this guy? I don't think you want to be the, we, we want you to be the one to represent us in battle. We don't want you to be the, the one to fight him, David. You're too small. 
You're just a boy. And yet, if we know from the passage before, this is the way God operates. God often operates by choosing people that you never expect. We judge by outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And what's interesting is, is one of the reasons I think that God often chooses the unexpected person to accomplish something is because if, if, if we chose the best warrior to go fight, we would assume that maybe they won out of their own strength or their own might or their own ability. But often God chooses the ones that are weak and foolish and lowly. So it's abundantly clear who the real hero is, who the real victor is. It's God. In fact, I think about my own life. And if you're in Christ right now, think about your own life. Do you know what God's Word says about us? About Him choosing us? It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being, hear this, no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, God is going to make it abundantly clear who the real victor is in this story. And so for David, it doesn't matter how big or how strong or how able he is, his confidence is resting squarely on God's ability to bring the victory for him. And so we see David, he prepares for battle. And in this story, it's interesting, um, Saul, he tries to dress David in his armor. And it's really interesting, if you read the passage, it talks about bronze armor. Uh, very similar to what we see with Goliath. And David, he does not dress the way that his enemy is dressed. This is significant. David chooses not to go the same route as Goliath. He is dressed differently. And so David says, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, David chooses five smooth stones from the brook. And he bravely walks toward the giant. Which leads to the contest. Point number four. The contest. David, as he begins walking down into the valley to meet this giant, before they begin to exchange physically, we see there's a verbal exchange in the beginning. At first, Goliath, he starts mocking David and mocking the ranks of Israel once again. In fact, he begins cursing them by his own gods. Now, this is significant for us. Because what happens when you curse Israel and, 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 and you mock Israel. Well, one of the things that we see, the promise I mentioned earlier that was made to Abraham, God actually talks about mocking or cursing his people in that promise. When God gave the covenant to Abraham, what did he say in Genesis chapter 12? I've got it here on the screen. It says this, I will make you into a great nation, Abraham, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And notice this, and whoever curses you, whoever curses your people, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so here, Goliath, he begins cursing the covenant people of God, and the careful reader of Scripture will know, uh uh-oh, you don't curse God's covenant people because things could go bad. And so this is what Goliath does, and notice now the outcome. This is how it begins to transpire. We know this story. Verses 48 through 49. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. And so David, using only a stone 
and a sling, he manages, manages to slay this armored giant, Goliath, by crushing his skull. And if we continue reading at this point, then David grabs the sword of Goliath and he chops off his head and he takes the head to the city of Jerusalem, which he hasn't yet conquered, and he parades it around. And, and when I tell my kids bedtime stories, I always like to include these. As the, you know, I've got little ones, but they love the paraded, you know, decapitated head around. That's a great story for your little ones. Well, that's what David does. And that leads now to our final section, the conquest, point number five. Notice how it ends. This familiar story. It says, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. And so we see here, as soon as David defeats Goliath, we see the army of Israel, they rise up, and they start pursuing the fleeing Philistines all the way back to their homeland. And in this story, uh, in light of David's victory over Goliath, it's amazing. The people of Israel, who were cowering in fear just moments before, when they see the giant felled, they now are emboldened to, to have courage to go run out against the enemy and rout the enemy and chase them all the way back home. And they begin uh, winning this amazing victory. And so as, as we kind of hear this story, which is familiar this morning, and we begin to wrap some things up and kind of bring some application. I want to circle back around to our question, and then I want to kind of dial into it a little bit further. The question I began with this morning was this. How do we face obstacles in life with confidence? I don't know what you may be going through this morning. Perhaps you've got something that you're facing right now, and because I don't know many of you, maybe some of you around you know what you're facing, but maybe you haven't shared it. Maybe there's something really deep down that you don't want to share that you're facing. And right now, you really don't know what to do. You don't have a whole lot of confidence in the situation. It's something that really is weighing you down. You're wrestling or struggling with something. How do we face those things with confidence? When facing some sort of giant in our life, when the situation requires some sort of hero, where do we find a sense of assurance or hope? Where do we turn? Where can we find a sense of, of, of confidence that there's going to be victory? I want to tell you what normally happens in a story like this when we hear about this familiar story of David and Goliath. This is what I heard growing up. Often the, the person would then say, listen, here's the point of the story. You are David. And you need to have confidence and courage in the fact that God will give you the victory. And if you believe enough and have a courage enough and confident enough that God can give the victory, then I'm going to tell you, you're going to face your giants and you're going to defeat them. That's what I heard growing up. This is the story of David and Goliath. So I was always the hero. I was always David. And if I have enough strength that I can muster up and courage and enough confidence in God, I can defeat my giants. That's what I heard growing up. And, and I don't think that's always bad. But I do think that it can be a little misleading. And I'll tell you why. The truth is sometimes when we face obstacles in life, sometimes when there's a giant that's standing in front of us, we can have all the faith in the world, and yet the giant still wins. Think about it for a second. What if the giant you're facing is cancer? I've been a pastor now for seven years. I've done a fair share of funerals. And I can tell you I've done several funerals already for people who were battling cancer. They were believers. They had faith that God could heal them. They were trusting in God. They were following Jesus to the very end, and yet they died. The giant of cancer won. Do we look at those people and go, man, they didn't have enough faith. Boy, if they just believed and trusted God more, they would, de they would defeat that giant. If they just trusted, if they were just 
you know, doing what David did, and cancer wouldn't win. Is that what we say? What if the giant is a failing marriage? I'm going to tell you a, a brief story. I have a, a guy who started coming to our church two years ago. And he started coming to our church because his marriage was starting to fall apart. And he was looking for hope. And he came to our church, and after coming to our church for a few months, he went in my office one day, and, and, and in my office, he began to tear up, and we began talking through stuff. And, you know, I, it wasn't like there was a magical, mystical moment where words were exchanged, but he, in that moment, he, he basically gave his life to Christ and committed his life to following Jesus and became a believer. And, and, and from that point forward, he's been sold out for Christ, pursuing Jesus fervently, and, and, and so serious about his faith. And I can tell you, the moment he became a Christian, his marriage got worse. His wife doesn't come. She doesn't care. She doesn't want. In fact, for him, that was one of those things that gave him hope and a reason to live. He brought his kids. His kids would come with him, and he was so excited about this newfound faith, trying to get his wife to come, and she just became more and more bitter. In fact, she has tried repeatedly, even recently, to encourage him and make it as hard as possible for them to be married. In fact, to, to tell him, please divorce me. I don't want to be the bad guy with our kids. They've got three little kids. I don't want to be the bad guy. Please just leave me because I don't want to be with you anymore. And that's, that's happened since he's become a Christian. Do I tell this guy right now, well, if you just believe a little harder, you know what, that giant of your failed marriage, that's going to be restored. Do I tell him that? No. I don't tell him that. You want to know why? The truth is, sometimes when we face our giants, the giant still wins. It's part of living in a fallen world. And as much as you and I would love to be the hero of this story, the truth is we can't be the hero because if victory is resting on my shoulders, man, we're all in trouble. Now, I don't get to be David in this story. But thankfully, the story of David and Goliath, it points us to a better hero. The story of David and Goliath doesn't point to me or you as much as it points us to Jesus. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus is given the, the name He's referred to oftentimes as the son of David, isn't he? The son of David. That's the title he's given. And as we look at this story and we think through it with the lens of what Jesus has done for us, I think there's a better way of applying the truth of this story by making the hero the son of David, Jesus. Think about this for a second. Just as David in our story, was sent to his brothers by an earthly father, so the son of David was sent to his brothers by his heavenly father. Just as David willingly accepted the burden of battle, which wasn't his to bear, he wasn't part of the army, the son of David willingly accepted the burden of sin, which wasn't his to bear. Just as David faced Goliath as Israel's representative, so the son of David faces sin as our representative. Just as David took up five stones to defeat the giant Goliath, so the son of David took up his cross to defeat the giant of sin and death. And just as David crushed Goliath's head as he was dressed like a serpent, so the son of David crushes the serpent's head through his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, Jesus is the true hero of the story. Jesus is the greater and better David. We don't get to be the hero of the story of David and Goliath. Jesus does. We're the fearful nation of Israel who's standing aside wondering if someone can come and bring the victory over sin and death because there's nothing we can do to stop it. It is too fearsome and too big and too much of a giant, but Jesus comes in and he steps in and he takes our place through his death, burial, and resurrection. He is the better, greater 
David in this story. And so in light of this, when we ask our question this morning, how do we face obstacles in life with confidence? This should be the answer. We face obstacles, we face giants, knowing that even if we're defeated, we have hope that the greatest giant, sin and death, has already been slayed by Jesus. Jesus has already won the greatest victory. He's conquered the giant of sin through his crucifixion, and he's conquered the giant of death through his resurrection. And so in light of Jesus' victory, we can boldly face life. We can boldly charge through life if we're on the the side of, of Christ and we belong to him by faith and we know that he has won the greatest victory. Man, we can travel through life and whatever obstacle comes our way, even if the obstacle takes us down, we have a hope, a confidence. That hope is Christ. That hope is the resurrection from the dead. That death for us as believers, it's not the end. That even if they take our lives, we have hope and confidence in Jesus. Amen? And that's the hope that we have in life. You see, this is the big idea this morning, and this is at the bottom of your handout. Jesus defeated the greatest giant. He did. Do we believe that this morning? That sin and death, something that we could never conquer on our own, that Jesus is the one that felled that giant for us? Jesus defeated the greatest giant so we can have courage in battle. Again, this morning, I just want to say, I don't know what some of you may be facing. There may be a giant right now in your life that just seems too big, too strong. And right now you're wrestling with, with what to do. And I want you to know that perhaps that giant, man, he, he might get the upper hand in your life. Whether it's a failing marriage, whether it's cancer, whether it's wayward children, whether it's illness or disease, whether it's you losing your job, whether I don't know what the situation you may be facing this morning. There, there are plenty of situations that we face in a fallen world. But whatever you're facing, I want you to know you can have confidence. Confidence in the battle. Because you're on the side of Christ. Through faith in Christ, we run in the midst of victory that's already been won for us. And so I want to encourage you to face your giants in life, not because you're the hero of the story, but because Jesus is the hero. Because Jesus has won the victory for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning as we <clears throat> approach a, fra- uh, a, a familiar text and, and something that, that uh, Father, maybe many of us know really well, I pray that there be a fresh perspective we would have this morning that, Father, through your word, your son Jesus, the true and better David, the son of David, that he would shine forth and that, Father, that we would rest in the victory that he provides for us and that, Father, we would charge ahead in the victory that he has already won, that, Father, as, as soldiers in Christ, we would realize that, Father, we have confidence that comes from you. And this confidence is, is so firm and secure that, Father, that no matter what we may, may be facing, Father, we, we can do it joyfully. And so I just pray this morning for anybody in the room who's struggling, anybody in the room who's having challenges that they're going through this morning, Father, I, I don't know every story, but, Father, I pray that your spirit will be at work this morning that you would take the truths from your word and that you would apply them to our life, Father, that you would shape us and fashion us by your word this morning, that as you have said in, in the scriptures, that you've promised that your word will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. Father, we, we pray that that would be thoroughly true this morning, that anything that's coming from me and, and my own thoughts or my own perspectives, that that would just fall aside. But Father, anything that comes from you, I just pray, Father, that you would just transform us by it for your glory. 
And so, Father, we thank you again for this morning. I just want to pray for Pastor Ben as he is uh, no doubt wrapped up first service and preparing for the next. I just pray that you just give him strength and um, encouragement as he prepares to preach. And, and Father, I just thank you for um, this, this body, Father, and just for the privilege of being able to join them for this morning in worship. And so uh, we give this time to you again for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, thanks so much for having me this morning. I'm glad I could be here. Now may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. God bless you guys.